0: Welcome to Hello Health Today, where health is a leadership strategy. I'm Dr. Carmen Mohan. Joining me today is a new member to the Hello Health team, Dr. Heather Koth. Dr. Koth is a licensed professional counselor and adjunct professor at Mercer University with specialized training in mindfulness and mindful leadership. Dr. Koth and I spoke about mental health and the value of mindfulness in making the day to day meaningful.
1: And that's when I first understood what mindfulness was like, it's like, oh, I can just be here. I can just be doing one thing.
0: I have practiced meditation for nearly two decades, and I hope you will develop either mindfulness practice or meditation practice for yourself. Dr. Heather Koth, welcome to Hello Health Today.
1: I am so excited to be here and to get an opportunity to have this uh, conversation with you about some of the challenges that we're facing as women in leadership today.
0: You know, I'm so glad that you have joined the Hello Health team. What did you think of team meeting this week? It was such a great opportunity, first of all, to
1: be in person and to get to have share physical space together and to get to know even more about how we all link and what we bring to the team and to get to know more about what this energy is going to feel like and be like and how unique each aspect of what our experiences have been that are going to make this a fantastic venture.
0: It's such a great group forming up. And I think we're lucky to have you just so you know. Thank you so much. I feel
1: very lucky to also get to be a part of it.
0: It's fascinating to me that you had an entire career before you decided to become a therapist. So what's it like in the corporate world? (laughs) It's fascinating to me too sometimes because it seems like
1: such a different lifetime ago because it's so starkly different now in my life versus the way it was when I was in the corporate world. And it was a long journey coming to the job that i wanted that fit who i was authentically as a human being and how i wanted to be passionate about my work that i really hadn't found prior to moving into my work as a therapist so i kind of took this journey starting out of school and i went to college not really exactly knowing what i wanted to do i thought i might want to be a lawyer um, i was a criminal justice major then when i graduated needed to make some money. <laughs> so I started with an insurance company and 13 years later I was still with that same company. I had moved up and I did find the training world. So I have always enjoyed I just am this natural leader. I like to be I I enjoy being in front of people and I like to speak and create this collaborative environment and so training just was a really good fit. So once I found that Um, I started finding more satisfaction in my work and then I moved up, um, through like manager supervisor and I started managing the training organization for this company. Um, and then through a merger, uh, was then, um, kind of pushed out of the position and it wasn't a right fit. And so at that time we agreed, I was ready to move on and I wanted to look at other opportunities and I ended up at a law firm, which really didn't suit what I was looking for in the environment and the culture also um, was not a healthy place for me. So at that point, that was the impetus to go back to school. Um, So even though it was through some hardships, I was able to find my path to uh, a career in service that was what I was looking for all that time.
0: That's amazing. How many years was it before you hit that point? Uh, 20. Yes. <laughs> so 20 years of some hard-won wisdom. Uh, what was the journey training to become a therapist like? When I initially started thinking
1: about it, I knew that I did want a job in service or a career. I wanted something that was meaningful in You know, when I worked at a law firm, they would say things were emergencies or urgent. And really, in my mind, you know, these weren't really urgent, life shattering, important things. I really wanted to do important work. Um, And at the time, I was in HR and um, I was really doing more business analysis and I was doing a little bit of training, but I'd really gotten so far away from what I felt was important work. And I'm like, and at the time, I thought, what's more important than helping people with? day-to-day suffering or mental health challenges. And I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I started looking at programs and really just kind of took the leap before I thought too much about it. Um, And I'm glad that I did that because I think if I had looked at the whole mountain climb, I might've gotten a little overwhelmed at the sacrifices that I was going to have to make. Um, right, so I just started. Right. I just started and I took the first step and I checked out a few programs and um, picked a wonderful program at Mercer University and got started. So I just took the next
0: step and the next step and the next step. Now, many people think mental health well, how about this? Many people think of mental health like it doesn't apply to all of us, like every single one. They only think about it when they're not doing well. And I find it really odd because with other kinds of health, we don't even bat an eye. Like there's a conventional way we look at health and well-being that we as a society accept, especially when it comes to physical well-being. And there are a few kinds of health that we've been ar- around for a while that seem really acceptable to the vast majority. Like we accept this concept of reproductive health, sexual health, spiritual health, and emotional health, but not mental health. Do you think mental health is finally getting some of the acceptance it deserves? I think it's starting,
1: and the interesting part is everything you just mentioned is part of our mental health. Exactly. If we don't have all those pieces, we likely are not going to be mentally well. In some way, we're going to have some kind of suffering or anxiety or depression or our relationships are going to suffer. Um, So absolutely, I think that the way we kind of conceptualize what mental wellness is is that it's more than I would only ever want to get some kind of therapy or you know a mental wellness checkup, we could say. We don't look at it in that way. We look at it more only if there's some serious diagnoses and some really severe mental health problem would I want to go to therapy. And I think there is a new and wonderful change in that people – if they're going through a tough time or if they're struggling in something, they'll come in and get some support. And we, you're right. We wouldn't really think twice about it if it's like, oh, I have some pain in my leg. Not really sure what it is, but why don't I go to the doctor right. and get some right. thoughts about what this might be and how I might be able to treat it. So we can conceptualize going to see a therapist in the same way. I just want a little help to figure out this, this pain in my life.
0: And I actually hope that we'll push that idea even further. So we'll start to think of brain health rather than mental health, because then you really are dealing with the physical ways that – You know, the body helps the mind. And that's what I love about what we do at Hello Health. And that's why we've been actively seeking therapists like you to partner with and and create a good care model around. Honestly, in my own personal experience in therapy, I've actually used it to grow. So, you know, I go in and I'm like, there's nothing wrong. I just I want to keep getting better. And it's getting harder as I climb higher in the ladder to find a way to continue to grow and learn. It's been a phenomenal journey for me. Um, do you, Have you engaged in personal therapy yourself? Absolutely. Um, my first
1: experience was being married at the time and being in an unfulfilling relationship and not really sure what my own personal identity was and why were there problems in this relationship. And I didn't know to, how to be happy And I really wasn't participating in my own life. And I was just very lost. So I went to see a psychologist who was absolutely fantastic. And it was my first experience in that setting. And it was also something at the time, I think I started looking at what she was doing. And I thought, I'd like to do that. Wouldn't that be great if I could be sitting in that chair? So I connected in that way as well in addition to doing my own personal work. So absolutely worked on myself for for years, um, trying to find my own voice and my identity, both personally and professionally. Um, I did go through a divorce, and that was a really difficult time where I realized through therapy all the aspects of myself that I needed to care for and absolutely started on that self-growth journey, which I think will... Will take me through my whole life.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit addictive growing into (laughs) oneself and and bigger versions. And um, it's been really fun for me. And I just appreciate what you do uh, for all of us and for our clients.
1: Thank you. And I think in what you said there, it made me think about um, I'm a dialectical behavior therapist. And when we think about the dialectic, that two things can be true at the same time. So I always try to remember while I am growing and I'm learning more and I'm trying to be better, I'm also perfectly okay, and wonderful and unique and worthy just the way I am.
0: It's really interesting. What we're hitting on is a little bit like, you know, who doctors the doctor, who is the therapist for the therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, And they always say doctors make terrible patients. I will tell you that is really true. But at the same time, um, it helps me so much engaging in my own compassion when I accept the help of others. Um, and I think it just there's so much for all of us to know and learn. And I just hope that when patients see us, you know, accepting help is not a weakness. Accepting help, help makes you stronger. And accepting talk therapy or a dialectical behavior behavioral therapy, as you do. Um, it's a it's a sign of strength. The strong ones end up with us.
1: Absolutely, and I hope when we start reconceptualizing mental health, mental wellness, brain health, that we're also starting to look at these conversations a little differently, and that when we support each other and accept help and seek out help, that. That absolutely is not a weakness. And that the more we do that, the more we're stronger, we're connected. We are more joy-filled, content human beings because we need each other. And in this this long-standing thought that I need to be self-sufficient, I can do it all. I play all the roles, you know, until we're utterly exhausted or overwhelmed or anxious. We can't sleep at night. Um, and we absolutely, we need to have these conversations and help each other and be able to be more vulnerable, right? Because vulnerability is strength and that is asking for help and sharing what our struggles are.
0: The first time I actually went into therapy was, um, after many, many of my patients had died while I was in. Uh, Medical Mm -hmm. school training. So it was a really hard month. There had been catastrophes on the highway, and I was working in the trauma bay at Grady Memorial Hospital when very severe injuries had come through. And I ended up, um, the therapist recommended meditation. And so I have now had a meditation practice for, I mean, more than two decades. I'm really looking forward to your mindfulness training program and i'm i'm really happy that there's more to learn about mindfulness and meditation. Can you tell us more about potentially the difference between the two? Absolutely. And you know, even through my studies,
1: it was part of my dissertation and i have studied mindfulness over the years, practiced it myself and i feel like i only scratched the surface, which is what's so wonderful about it, the way we can understand it and live it and have it as a part of our whole being. And it just continues to evolve for me. Um, when we think about mindfulness and there's a lot of different ways, especially if you go online and you do some searches that they talk about it and conceptualize mindfulness, basically mindfulness is a state. It's kind of a state of being. So when we are mindful it one of the most simplest definitions, and this is John Kabat-Zinn's definition, um, just awareness in the present moment without judgment, and that second part can be even more difficult, right? So we might be in the present, but our our ever thinking mind wants to throw out judgment, judgment, opinions, thoughts, um, so such a simple concept, but absolutely not easy. and our current world really pulls us out of being mindful um almost every minute, whether you know it's it's advertising or phones or all the requirements that we have at work and people needing things in our own mind that we have really difficult time kind of backgrounding. Um, So when we think of mindfulness in that way, it's simplest terms being present and aware in that current moment that we are in without judgment. And then we have meditation practices whether it be mindfulness meditation or other forms of meditation that help us more easily get into that state and live it more naturally. And it becomes easier the more that we practice it.
0: I have personally found that to be true. So thank you for naming that and giving me more language around my actual experience. How long have you been engaged in mindfulness work? my first experience because it is
1: very experiential you can intellectually know what mindfulness is but until you feel the difference between when you're not being mindful versus when you are yeah. mindful you don't yeah. really know what it is now i'm very aware when i'm not being mindful um so initially my first kind of toe in the water was through a yoga practice and it was when i was going through my divorce and i really was doing a lot of searching and And like I said, I felt very lost um, and was changing at the time, looking at changing career. I was moving from another state, going through a divorce. There's so many, you know, my life was in this upheaval and I I remember going to yoga class and I was in tears and I was in the back, I think, hoping they wouldn't notice. I didn't know a lot about yoga. Obviously, they look at the students. So, you know, I'm in child (laughs) pose in the back, but it really made such a difference in my life to really connect to that inner part of myself and to be still. And to just accept what's there and to start really building that self-awareness. And um, one of the first things I remember hearing in yoga is like, this is all you have to do right now. Just be here. Just be in this moment. Whatever's after, you don't have to think about what you're doing later for work, for dinner, what everybody else needs. You just get to be here on your mat. And that's when I first understood what mindfulness was like. It's like, oh, I can just be here. I can just be doing one thing.
0: Isn't it It's such a novel idea when you actually are able to stay in the now? <laughs> it's very difficult to do. But um, like many things, it's a skill that can be taught. And that's what you do. You teach people mindfulness now. What's the first step if you want to learn to be more mindful?
1: That's a really good question, Carmen. It can, first of all, depending on what kind of approach you want to take. So whether it's reading a book and you want to learn a little bit more and develop your own independent practice, if you were to come to something like our workshop, we would first, just the first week, look at what are the benefits of mindfulness, right? Lower stress. It can bring us more joy in our lives, more connection in our relationships, help us to regulate our emotions, just to name a few. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, what we might see when we begin to practice. So looking at why would I want to do this? What's it it going to do for me? Which is a very legitimate question if we're going to spend time doing something and learning something. So not only what are the benefits and then how do I even start going about this? So the first way is to look at even one of our most simplest day-to-day activities. Well, I don't know if a complex relationship with food, but we think about eating. When we think about eating, are we being mindful? Are we on the phone? Are we watching TV? Are we engaged with our food? Are we eating in our car? Are we eating at our desk? So eating, watching the screen, eating on the Zoom. Exactly. So even thinking about what if I was just one of the first exercises I teach in classes, what if we just took like, let's say a raisin and we looked at it? And we smelled it and we squished it between our fingers and we listened to it and we put it in our mouth and looked at the texture and then chewed it and then swallowed it. That whole experience, that's what mindfulness begins to how it starts to be introduced to us. Like, oh, I really slow down and I pay attention with my senses to whatever I'm engaged in in any moment.
0: So this is really interesting because I think... I'm probably a more intense person than many others, but I don't think most people realize how memories are formed. Okay, so like, how does that tie to the raisin exercise you just described? You have to be paying attention in order to form a memory, right? So if you pay attention to chewing this raisin, it helps you then make a link to the other things you need to be paying attention to to really deepen the experience that you're having, whether that is in listening to what someone is actually trying to say to you and improving and deepening the bond between you or, or whatever you'd like to remember. You have to be paying attention. And for me, that's what mindfulness and meditation have really brought out. Now, I get a little melodramatic sometimes. Um, and again, this is one topic where my intensity really shines. And it's got to do with death and dying. So being a physician, I've had the privilege of being at the bedside when patients died. It really is a privilege. And we have to all remember that life is lived day to day. And if you're not mindful, you miss it. But we're all going to die, right? So you can really feel the moment in time when the body becomes a shell. And that's why I believe firmly in such things as the human spirit. So, there is such a good a thing as a good death. And there's another thing that another kind of experience that's possible that I deem a a bad death if if we it is a judgment. So it's not non-judgmental, but regret it it's sounds been like, my experience. Yeah. People remember all manner of things when they're making that final transition. And for me, the way we die in a good or a bad way boils down to whether or not you were paying attention during your day to day. So that's why I'm a little bit obsessed with harnessing my own attention and helping the right memories of my life form. And that's why I find what you do so compelling, Heather. It's so compelling. Yes. And I, I really appreciate the way that you're looking at
1: how memories are formed and that participation. And another aspect to the way that we remember and our memories are formed is linked to emotion. So one of the things about mindfulness is, and for me certainly is getting more in touch with my emotions without judgment, accepting what emotions are happening and making and incorporating that into my whole being. So whether we have this reasonable side of our minds, the facts the data, and then we have this emotional side, when we kind of synthesize those two is how we find our mindful state. It's our full being. We don't want to be too far to either side, or we get too emotional and emotions are running the show, or we're too fact and logic and we're not validating our own emotional experience. So that's why we're doing both of those things, right? We're, we're aware, we're in the present moment, we're incorporating both of those things. We are mindful and we do then become present in our own lives. And I had the same experience. I, this being able to be a therapist and seeing, you know, people at some of their most vulnerable and and really struggling and working through some of the hardest things that they'll ever have to do and getting to be a part of that journey is an absolute privilege. I get asked a lot, isn't it so hard? Like hearing all that all day and people telling you all all their problems and I've I've never felt that way or seen it that way it's an absolute privilege. And I get more out of sometimes I think being a therapist and helping people in their journey just as much as they do by participating in the process. Um,
0: well, as you said earlier, it, you were looking to make a meaningful contribution. And, um, I, I think that this is what gives life meaning and, um, it's it's wonderful to watch that that process, it really is a process and we are really skill building um, and it's hard to understand it in the abstract. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Like what attributes do clients need to be successful with dialectical behavior therapy?
1: To be successful, I think the simplest is you keep coming back, you keep trying, um, so being open to some of these concepts like mindfulness are simple, but they're not easy. So that willingness to just give some things a try um, and just to keep making that effort at whatever level you can in the moment. Um, So sometimes that takes longer. The efforts look different. So just to be willing to be in the process and that, it's going to be challenging and the more you participate in your life you're going to feel some things maybe that you haven't um, before that maybe there's a reason why you were kind of checking out of your own life or didn't hear your own voice or you know there's some things you're going to have to work through the more mindful you become um so just having some courage to work through that and like we said before ask for support and accept support not only from from a therapy aspect one of the things i do in my life as I have, for anybody that's familiar with Marco Polo, um, a supportive group of women from around the country that form this Marco Polo group. There's seven of us, and we check in all day every day on everything from nutrition and what's going on in our lives, and it's just this kind of a wellness support group that's developed. So I think all of those things have been helpful that I've seen with
0: clients and uh, for myself as well. I think you know this, but I only take patients into my private panel who are committed to a year-long process. And part of the reason for that is it's really hard to create change more quickly than six months, right? Um, real change just doesn't manifest itself before a year in what I do. Is work as a therapist like that for you?
1: Yes, absolutely. If somebody's coming in to get, let's just say, like a checkup, like we were talking about, that could could be categorized differently than yes. If you want to make true change for whether that's regulating your emotions and your relationships, if you have a diagnosed mental health disorder, whatever that is, absolutely. Um, when people sit and ask, you know, so how long do you think? So if, if we're being realistic, at least a year, probably two, um, to really see that, that full shift and for it to become more natural. You'll see changes before then, but really to make that big change um, would absolutely take at least a year.
0: Yes, there's some small changes that'll happen right around three to six months um, in my practice, and then they gain momentum and speed. And then the ability to do it on your own without a guide, which is a lot of what I'm doing in clinic is just being a guide Um, it's the being able to do it on your own that takes the next year is what I find. Absolutely. Well put. Well, it's time for action steps for the day. Heather, how can we take good care of ourselves so that we can serve the world? That is
1: a great question that I think we should all ask ourselves on a regular basis. And (laughs) it might look different at different times in our life, right? So, So the way I try to conceptualize it is that I have kind of buckets. So... I might have body, spirit, love, and connection, or um, what I might be working on at that particular moment. But basically, key areas, I look at how is my sleep and nutrition each day. So how am I kind of fueling my body with food and with sleep? Um, And then I also absolutely incorporate mindfulness in some way. That's like a core value that I have now for myself. So how am I doing that either informally or formally? So for whatever that looks like for anyone that is looking to incorporate mindfulness as self-care, whether that's participating in yoga or listening to a guided meditation or just sitting quietly and just listening to birds outside your window, however you want to practice it, just really getting touch with that center of ourselves and being quiet and being in the moment. Um, really helps our, both our, our mental well being and our physical well being. Um, and the last thing is, like I said, I have a group of people that I check in with, if not daily, pretty close to daily, that have similar ideas for supporting each other and being able to share in a safe, non judgmental space. So even if that's a therapy group or a group of friends or a significant other, just having somebody. Or
0: a backstage. We call it the backstage crew. Yes,
1: absolutely. I love that terminology that um, you are not a one-man show, one-woman show, one-person show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Heather Coth, for your time today. I'm really happy already with the work that we've begun um, helping out our clients together, and I'm really excited for what the future will bring having you joining the Hello Health team.
1: Thank you so much, Carmen. I am so excited, and it's a privilege to get to be a part of this journey and
0: part of the team. Thank you for listening to Hello Health Today. As always, action steps, contact information, and social handles are posted in the show notes. If you'd like to reach Heather independently, what can we do?
1: You can go to my website at in counseling.com.
0: Or you can go to hellohealthtoday.com and see that Dr. Koth has joined us there as well. Until next time, remember, today is good. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Because I am a medical doctor, it's important for me to tell you that nothing I say here in this podcast can substitute for your doctor's advice. My lawyers make me say the same thing this way. The contents of this podcast are neither intended nor implied to be relied on for medical diagnosis, care, or treatment concerning any individual. Under no circumstances does this podcast create a physician patient relationship, nor does it constitute engagement in the practice of medicine or the provision of any healthcare service to an individual patient. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis and treatment. Consult a healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or to obtain guidance about any medical conditions. The producers of this podcast expressly disclaimed responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of reliance on the information contained in this podcast.